pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray, we pray, that my message and my preaching tonight would not be with wise and persuasive words, but may they be with a demonstration of your Spirit's power, so that faith might not rest on a man's wisdom, but on your power. We pray that the Spirit would be evidenced tonight by your body of believers here being built up and edified, and that it would result in worship to you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Uh, it's been good to read the whole context from 1 Corinthians 12, and so we're up to 1 Corinthians 14, so please do read for a Bible. It will be useful to have it open as we work through this tonight. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 25. If you've got a pew Bible, that's page 1154. 1154. Now, we've read the context, but actually the first verse of chapter 14 gives us that context again. So we can read verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now, that is the context and the content of chapter 14. Follow the way of love is chapter 13. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts is chapter 12. And then the content of chapter 14, especially the gift of prophecy. We keep reading in verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? I mean, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet, not, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can the one who finds himself among those who do not understand say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you're saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others 
than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regards to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it's written, through the men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his hearts will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Let me map out the path that we're walking tonight so you can see where we're going to go, and then we'll try and walk it. First of all, we're going to try and pick up the main principle of what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 14. So understand that main principle. We'll then spend just a little bit of time defining what prophecy and tongues are. Then we're going to look at how Paul applies that principle in Corinth. And once we've done that, we'll move and we'll apply that principle at Charlotte Chapel. So we'll look at the principle. We'll define how does it apply in Corinth? How does it apply at Charlotte Chapel? Are you with me? Does that make sense? Good. Uh, Have a look at verse 12. Here is Paul's principle in a nutshell. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. Paul says to this congregation of God's people, when you come together, be eager to excel in edification. Be eager to excel to edify. That's the principle he's going to set out in this chapter. It's been his his concern throughout the whole letter. You can flick through from chapter 8, verse 1. And his concern is, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Chapter 10, verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Chapter 12, verse 7, he said, The manifestations of the Spirit are given for the common good. He's had this theme so far of building up, strengthening, encouraging. And that explodes in chapter 14. Seven times we get this idea, edify. So we get it twice in verse 4, that so that the church, or he who speaks in a tongue edifies, he who prophesies edifies, end of verse 5, so that the church may be edified. You get this language seven times. And then added to that, you get words like instruct, strengthen, encourage, comfort, build up. The principle, be eager to excel in edification. Now, what does eagerness mean? Um, You can define it as this burning concern. It is a burning passion, a heated zeal for something. We've, Sarah and I have recently got a puppy. And if I take our puppy on a walk with its harness and leash on, and it sees anything from 
this afternoon it was a wagon wheel packet to its own tail or a female dog especially, it will, it's up, it's gone, it's, it's searching, it's burning forward. That's eagerness. It's off. Uh, eagerness is burning concern. What is edification? It is this building up, this growth, this strengthening. And Paul wants to say in this chapter, eagerness is good, but edification is essential. It's good to be eager. It's got to edify. That's the principle. Eagerness to excel in edification. It's good to be eager. It's got to edify. Now, how does this principle apply for Paul in this Corinthian setting? Let's have a look next at the principle applied in Corinth. As we read the context from chapter 12 through 13, we saw that so far Paul has been talking about many gifts. He's wanting to multiply the amount of spiritual gifts in their mind. So he's had the image of one spirit, but many spiritual gifts. He's talked of one body, but many parts. When you get to chapter 14, he narrows. He goes from many to two, prophecy and tongues. We can infer that in Corinth, in that local church, there was issues regarding these two gifts. And so Paul hones in on them. It suggests that there was confusion, that there was debate, probably that there was abuse. And so he gives us this principle and he applies it at Corinth. Now we need to come and define what these two gifts are, prophecy and tongues. Let me give you um, some definitions. I've tried to take all the words from these definitions from 1 Corinthians um, so that the phrases that are are used are taken from Paul's language. Here's prophecy, as I understand it. It is a gift of the Spirit to speak and instruct the minds and hearts of others for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort, and towards the worship of God. Now, prophecy as a gift in 1 Corinthians does not carry with it the same authority as an Old Testament prophet. It's not the Ezekiel or the Isaiah type character. And neither in 1 Corinthians 14 does it seem to carry the same weight as the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter. It seems to have been significantly tamed. There seems to be a distinction between the office of a prophet and the gift of prophecy. Now, why do I say that? Well, later on next week, we'll see in the end of chapter 14, prophecies here need to be carefully weighed by the elders of the congregation. That would not have been said of Old Testament prophecy. Paul also seems to envision that all in the church may prophesy. So at the end of our section in verse 24, when he comes in while everybody is prophesying, it seems that Paul doesn't think in this church there is a small group of people labeled the prophets, but actually this spiritual gift of speaking instruction for the strengthening of others can be something that every believer can be involved in. So the prophecy as it's defined here does not threaten the finality of the canon of Scripture. 
it doesn't carry that same authority or weight so that it is on an equal par with these 66 books in a similar way that we would not say that preaching threatens the finality of the canon. But it is this spirit-given, spirit-prompted application of the apostolic gospel. Let's define tongues. Tongues. A gift of the Spirit to pray and praise God with one's spirit in unlearned languages, whether of men or of angels. It is a gift of the Spirit as you trace it through the book of Acts that, is, that signifies and characterizes the spread of the gospel into new frontiers. As the gospel breaks out from Jerusalem and just rapidly spreads across geographic and racial boundaries, this gift of tongues marks that spread. It's vital for us to notice here that it is not primarily communication between one human being and another, but it is a communion with God. It is prayer and praise to God the Father. Um, It can be interpreted, as we see in chapter 14, verse 5, and uh, yeah, verse 5, and then it can become edifying. But uninterpreted, it is only edifying for the individual that is involved. So prophecy, a gift of the Spirit to speak and instruct the minds and hearts of others for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort and towards the worship of God. Tongues, a gift of the Spirit to pray and praise God with one spirit in unlearned languages, whether of men or of angels. Now, we helpfully had laid out for us a few weeks ago the view that these gifts have ceased with the closing of the canon of Scripture. I would not come to that conclusion as I read 1 Corinthians. I think the perfection spoken of in chapter 13, verse 10, when these things cease, is the return of Jesus. Uh, in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 7, maybe it's worth turning there, just briefly. Chapter 1, verse 7, the Apostle Paul has already linked spiritual gifts with the return of Jesus. Therefore, Paul writes, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So I would say that uh, as I read these texts, that these are gifts that are still given by the Spirit today. But we must pay careful attention now to Paul as he applies this in the Corinthian situation so we can then apply it to ourselves. The situation in Corinth is obvious that uninterpreted tongues are playing a dominant role in a church gathering. And that is the situation that Paul is speaking into. So let's run through this chapter and see how this applies in Corinth. Four very quick things. Let's look at verses one to five first. Uninterpreted tongues edify the individual But prophecy edifies the church. Paul is going to give us four things that compare prophecy and tongues to show that tongues needs to take a back seat in the church gathering and prophecy needs to be given a greater place. Uninterpreted tongues edify the individual. Prophecy edifies the church. In verses 1 to 5, we do see that tongues has an edifying effect on the individual involved. 
Paul, however, says that is too small a view, too narrow a horizon for when you come together as God's people. He says, verse 1, follow the way of love. Love, as defined by Jesus, is never an introspective, introspective, self-focused thing. It's defined as him laying his life down for others. So when we're gathered together in the corporate body of believers, to be satisfied with only edifying myself is too small a horizon. And so Paul says, follow the way of love. That is what is going to be for the good of others. And choose what is greater. He who prophesies is greater, verse 5, than the one who speaks in tongues, so that the church may be edified. Greater there is not in terms of personal wealth, uh, worth or hierarchy because of the gift, but it's related to the potential to edify someone else. So Paul says, be eager to edify. Therefore, tongues must take a back seat in the local congregation and prophecy must be raised. Be eager to edify. It's interesting in the language. He says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. He doesn't diminish the gift. I would like, but I would rather that you prophesy. Be eager to edify. Second thing, verses 6 to 12. Uninterpreted tongues turn family into foreigners, whereas prophecy builds up the church. Paul now says that it is too destructive, too divisive a practice to have uninterpreted tongues in the local gathering of God's people. He gives three examples. He looks at musical instruments, he looks at the army, and then he looks at languages in the world. If musical instruments do not give clear, distinct notes, then the piece of music is destroyed. If the bugle in the call to arms for an army does not give a clear, distinct note, the army will be destroyed. And if in the place where brothers and sisters come to enjoy the family of believers and to show the unity that they have in Jesus, tongue speaking divides them and makes family into foreigners if they cannot understand what is being said. The music is destroyed, the army is defeated, and the family is divided. He begs the question in verse 6, what good will I be to you? You turn, your, you turn each other into foreigners, aliens, rather than show the fact that you are a family who cares and wants to build one another up. Be eager to edify. Next thing, thirdly, Verses 13 to 19. Uninterpreted tongues do not edify, but prophecy instructs others. Verses 13 to 19 give us a great insight into what is the content of tongues. It is the spirit rather than the mind that is engaged in prayer and praise. But it is those two things. He says, you may be praising God. Verse 16, if you are praising God. Verse 17, you may well be giving thanks. Paul's concern is, though, what about this other guy? He's not edified. It's a little bit like, this is my wife that came up with this illustration. It's really good. Um, We've turned church into a silent disco at this point. The point of a silent disco, if you've never been, is that you all attend the same discotheque, 
But uh, rather than all listening to one DJ or disc jockey um, and all the same music, what is going on? You've all got headphones on and you can choose what music you listen to. So you could be jiving over here to some jam and I could be breakdancing to run the MC in the same room. But you're doing your thing and I'm doing my thing, but there is no community even though we're in the same place. It's a completely individual experience as we have our cans on. Paul says, you're coming together as the church, but you're only wanting to edify yourself. You've turned the church into a silent disco at this point. It's too small a horizon. What about the other guy? He says, be eager to edify. What about the other guy? He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Again, he's not diminishing the gift. He is endorsing it. I thank God. I thank him, but I would rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 in a tongue. Do the math and be eager to edify. Five to instruct rather than 10,000 for your own silent disco. Be eager to edify. Finally, verse four, uh, fourth thing, verses 20 to 25. Uninterpreted tongues confirm unbelief in unbelievers, whereas prophecy can convince unbelievers to believe. He quotes Isaiah, and he says that in the Old Testament, when God speaks intelligibly, it is always to reveal himself. But when God speaks unintelligibly, it is to judge. He says, you immature Corinthians, you childlike Corinthians, because your practice is eternally harmful to the unbeliever who comes through your door. They cannot understand. They say, you're nuts. You're out of your minds. Prophecy, on the other hand, can do what? It will convince. It will lay them bare. And they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Prophecy can drive an unbeliever to their knees at the cross of Christ to find forgiveness and to worship him. Be eager to edify. As Paul applies this to the church in Corinth, he is completely inverting their pyramid of values. He takes this principle, be eager to edify, and he says, if you've got tongues at the top of your pyramid and prophecy near the bottom, then you are being harmful and you're doing no good. Let me invert this so that you may be about clear, intelligible proclamation of Christ. He gives them the measure, the benchmark, the compass to guide their corporate gatherings. Eagerness to edify, which means intelligibility being understood is imperative. Eagerness is good, but edification is essential. Now, how does this apply as we come through Corinth to Charlotte Chapel today? We do find ourselves in a different context in that uninterpreted tongue speaking is not prevalent in our church meetings. Um, but there are important applications that come through Corinth to us at Charlotte. And I think whether you come to the conclusion that these gifts have ceased or continued, these applications are the same. They are of the same importance to us all. So let me give you four 
quick words, four E's to apply this to us at Charlotte Chapel. Eagerness, excel, edify, and expectancy. First then, eagerness. Verse 12, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts. At no point in this passage does the Apostle Paul squash their eagerness. All he does is realign it. He never pulls the leash in on this rampant dog, but he just redirects it. Eagerness is good. It was just aimed at the wrong place. Since you are eager, he says. He says, be eager. I find a rebuke in that. As Paul looks at me, as Paul looks at us as a congregation of God's people, what word does he use? Since you are apathetic, lazy, lukewarm, indifferent. What is our attitude to pursuing God and the gifts of his spirit to edify the church? What would Paul say of us? Since you are something. So often our eagerness is misdirected. It, it, we seem to lay it down when we come into church. We're eager for the things of the world and for the material things. But when it comes to the pursuit of God and his gifts, it is lackadaisical. It's apathy. Often, actually, it's worse than that because eagerness can be mocked. If we see someone who has an eagerness for things, we call they're the brown noser, they're the, the do-gooder, they're the, you know, they are mocked in our society. We need to reclaim this sense of eagerness in the congregation of God's people. You know, to use the language of the Psalms, our Lord, growing us this passion, this thirst, this hunger, this pursuit. And may I long, may I burn, may I be desperate, may I be consumed with you and the gifts that you give. Since you are eager, our Lord, give us eagerness. Second word, excel. Since you are eager for spiritual gifts, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. Again, I found a rebuke in that word this week. Rebuked my half-heartedness. Rebukes my contentment with averageness. Rebukes my lack of progress. Rebukes my consistent unpreparedness. Rebukes my tendency to busk it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Is God glorified in my averageness? I want to excel. The end of 2 Corinthians, he's going to say, aim for perfection, he says. I want to excel. As I look at myself, as we examine our own lives, the gifts that his spirit has given, are we fanning them into flame or are we smoldering? Are we progressing or are we stagnant? Are we moving towards maturity or are we showing an immaturity, a childishness in the spiritual gifts that we're given? I want to be eager to excel. Lord, may we excel to your glory. Edify, thirdly. Edify again. 
verse 12, since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that edify, build up the church. Again, a rebuke for me. A rebuke of my individualism, of my consumerism when I come to church. Now, one of the real, one of the hard things about being a larger church is that it's easy to walk through these doors and to walk back out them without playing any significant role, without utilizing any or many of our spiritual gifts. We can come and be consumers. Now, it is not wrong to come to be instructed or to be encouraged or to be strengthened or to be comforted or to be built up. That is not a bad thing. That is why we gather. But let's have a heart, a resolution that when we come, we are praying, Lord, may I instruct. May I be the source of edifying someone else. Now, there's someone next to you and someone maybe in the pew in front on their own who guaranteed needs at least one of these three, strengthening, encouragement, or comfort. Who doesn't? Let's appeal to each other. Let's edify one another. Yeah, be a consumer, but also edify. So that as we come in, we are building one another up. Um, There is then the imperative of being intelligible. Now, you can be intelligible, unintelligible, even when you're speaking English. Um, Some of us more than others, granted. But we have to be careful of this in church. Because actually the unbelieving world that Paul expects to be coming through our doors is further back than we think. We presume of them a lot of knowledge of biblical ideas or biblical definitions or our phrases that we use. We need to make sure that from up top and in the pew, from the prayers that we pray, from the songs that we sing, we are moving towards intelligibility rather than being complete foreigners. Intelligibility is key. Let's then apply this. If you are someone who has the gift of tongues, what does Paul say to you? He says, well... Pray for interpretation uh, so that it might become this edifying means. But remember the principle, five in 10,000. Choose five words that will instruct rather than 10,000 that won't. It may mean that tongue stays as your private devotion and doesn't come into the public meetings. But actually, if it is edifying to you, ultimately it will be for the good of the local congregation. I will be a hopeless preacher in public if I am not privately edified day by day from God's word. Fourth, expectancy. I think this has hit me most of all this week. What do I expect when I drive to church? What do you expect when you come to meet with God's people? When was the last time you walked through the doors expecting to see someone fall down and worship God? I can't remember. Paul says, when the unbeliever comes, he will be convinced and exclaim, God is really among you. Do we believe that as Christians? God is here. 
so often our expectancy is low because we've domesticated and tamed gods. He's a lion. So often our expectancy is lowered because we've made him safe and predictable. He is a consuming fire. What do we expect when we come into the gathering of God's people when his word will be proclaimed in the power of his spirit? I think often I've thought, maybe someone might come to Christianity Explored. Maybe. Maybe they might come to a men's ministry event. Maybe I might meet them for coffee. Maybe they might fall down and worship. When was the last time I prayed that? The power of his words in the power of his spirit. Our Lord, give us an expectancy. If you're not a Christian, maybe tonight's been weird. I hope it's been intelligible. But we do live in a society that is so consumed with the external outward appearances. Social media allows that so that you can present yourself in the way that you want to be perceived. You can hide your faults, you can hide your secrets, and you can present this perfection. God sees the reality. Uh, He sees through our masks. He strips away the camouflage that try to hide who we really are. And he reveals the secrets of our hearts. Why are these secrets? Because we know that they are ugly, perverse, wicked. That's why we keep them secrets. God lays them bare. Did he who created the ear not hear? Does he who created your eyes not see? Does he who gives knowledge not know? Samus says. I mean, he lays you bare. And maybe brings you tonight to his judgment seat. Just convinced, convicted. I'm a sinner. Well, then that same spirit would bring you not only to the judgment seat of Christ, but to the cross of Christ, where Jesus himself was judged, though he was perfect. Where Jesus himself, who knew no sin, died for the secret sins of my heart. That I might not be consumed by the consuming fire, but might be sheltered and be called God's son. If you've been laid bare tonight, put your faith, your trust, your confidence, your everything in Christ, the one who shows what love is, that he would lay down his life for even his enemies. Worship him. The only thing that is worthy of your everything. Let's pray.